What episode are we on? Oh, I have no fucking clue. I don't even fucking know. It's been so long. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let me look. Is this going to be another one of those, like, God, we sound like newbie episodes? Probably. Forever. It's like our first fucking time recording. Hey, strangers. Welcome to episode 59 of I'm Sorry What the Podcast. It's been about 10 years. I'm Amanda. I don't know who I am anymore. Oh, she's lost in the quarantine. <laughs> I'm Christina. She lost herself. I've just she's lost gone. who I am inside. Oh, no. Miss oh, no. Lord. Oh, no. So this yeah. is like our first episode we've recorded since real quarantine started. And it's the first episode. No, even before that, because we were like four episodes ahead in recording because I was supposed to have surgery. Mm-hmm. Well, we were talking about how how the coronavirus started in yeah. the last couple episodes. Before and... even quarantine had started, and we mm-hmm. were wrong. <laughs> yeah, nope, it wasn't just a couple weeks. All of our predictions were wrong. <laughs> Turns out. Turns out. We're fucked. <laughs> the world. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Who knew? <laughs> no. Not funny. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Have you had the coronavirus test? I have not. No. I've had no reason to. hear about it? Sure. They take what can only be described as a plastic bendy straw that mated with a pipe cleaner. Okay. Shove her up in the nasal cavity. So deep that it goes into the back of your throat. And then they twist it as they pull it out slowly and they count back from seven. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> I mean, it kind of sounds like you're getting mummified. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, and I was like, I've had a flu test. And they're like, okay, you'll be okay. And I was like, it doesn't instill confidence. What do you mean? And they're like just a little bit more invasive and i'm like i didn't know that you were gonna swirl around in my brain before you pulled it out <laughs> just need a little bit of... <clears throat> you just need a little <laughs> i didn't give you permission to go that deep <laughs> supposed to have a conversation first <laughs> at least somebody buys me dinner <laughs> Ooh. bringing it back bringing, bringing it back, it back. <laughs> Oh, boy. So, yeah, in case you guys couldn't tell, I got tested for the coronavirus. Yeah, that was so fun. She's, she's always sick, so of uh, course she true. got sick during during the pandemic. During and, the pandemic. Uh, it's the worst time to not feel good, because I literally, and I told my boss this, because I had to quarantine out of work for at least seven days, and I told my boss this, that I... I came home from work on a Thursday. I was supposed to go back to work on Friday because we've had some on and off days. But I was supposed to go back to work that Friday and I came home and I was like, God, I have the worst fucking headache. My dad's like, well, have you taken your temperature? I'm like, why would I take my temp, dad? I have a headache. And he's like, I don't know, maybe because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I was like, I'm just going to take my temp. Just kidding. I had a fever. And it, I mean, it was only like 99, like five when I first took it. And I was like, hmm, this is dumb. Well, and for me, it's like sometimes my, like when I have my migraines, my temperature right. fluctuates. So I'm like, I run a fever when I'm sunburned. Like, right. my autoimmune, my immune system does not work correctly. Um, so I took 
a bunch of, I took some Tylenol, but I also was like, I felt off and like my whole body started to hurt. And so then I took my temp again. It was like 100.1. I was like, <laughs> oh, good. Uh, so I did the like online visit with my doctor and they're like, just kidding. You need to come in and be seen. I was like, oh, again, I love this for me. So I go to the doctor and she's like, you're like got a 50-50 chance that you have it. She's like half your symptoms are that of every other common cold or GI bug or you have coronavirus. And I was like, oh, so there's just uh, cool. <laughs> yep, super overlap with symptoms. It's ridiculous. She's like, honestly, I have no idea what you have and I can't tell you, but it could be corona. So originally she was like, it's Friday. I want you to monitor your symptoms over the weekend. Don't go back to work until you're 72 hours without symptoms. Like, all of your symptoms are gone, not just your fever. And um, call us on Monday if you have any other weird symptoms. All weekend, weird shit kept happening. Like, I didn't, my fever broke Friday, and I didn't run a fever again. But my headache lasted from Thursday to Thursday. I kept breaking out in random sweats. Like, I'd be laying on the couch, and all of a sudden, I'd, like, feel the back of my neck, and it was, like, my hair... I'd just gotten out of the shower. My hair was so wet. Like, that... Like, just, like, I was pouring sweat, but I didn't have a fever. And then I'd be freezing cold. And I'm like, this is my body. is Weird things are happening inside me. <laughs> Something's not okay. I had a cough for 36 hours. And then that went away. So I don't know if it was just, like, a really light, like, my sinus infection. Because all of those are things that happen when I have, like, a bad sinus infection. Right. But I called on Monday and she's like, nah, you should probably go get tested. So I get tested. It came back. I got my test results back at 12 hours. And it came back as undetected. I was like, the fuck does that mean? And apparently what it means is it, I either didn't get enough of... They didn't get enough of a sample when they tested me, which I don't know how that's possible because they, they were inside me. They didn't collect enough brain tissue. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I was at the end of it. So I was like asymptomatic when I actually had it. And then at the end of it is when I presented symptoms. Or I didn't have it. Oh, my Sophie. Come here. Come here, Sophie. Look at the baby. Um... <laughs> Can you hear her sniffing? Hey, puppy. Uh, no. So that was fun. So then I had to stay quarantined from work for seven days. And I was bored out of my freaking mind. And my dad's been driving me crazy. So that's been my quarantine. It's just been, hey, you got the coronavirus. Hey, kid, just kidding. No, you don't. Um, But you still have to stay home anyway, just in case you do. Just because we don't know for sure. But this is what this uh, We'll see. Yeah. Oh, God. Now I have, like, a puppy. <laughs> you got a puppy puddle on top of you. Of a p- I'm recording right now. You have to go away. That I heard. <laughs> Just her big, fat nose. It's like I have a puppy blanket on. It's glorious. <laughs> You're so, 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 so. So you've just been being an entrepreneur? Yep. Doing your Mary Kay stuff. Amanda sells Mary Kay, guys. Yep. You buy it from her. Thing. It's a thing. Um, yep, just been doing that, and I feel like I can't hear myself. Am I just... No, I can you? hear you. Okay. Um. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Do you have something important Bubbles. to say? 
<laughs> no, <laughs> just terrible junk in my throat. So, um, yeah, I've been doing that, been working my hours shifted at work. So I'm getting done with that a bit early, but I'm in a classroom and it makes me very, very, very worn out and tired. I had a bit of a bout of the depression there for a little bit. And it's like you, it, it's like, uh, what was the, what did I tell mom? I was like, it, uh, what is it called in the winter when you get depressed? Seasonal depression. Yeah. I'm getting like quarantine seasonal depression. <laughs> I don't know. I cried a lot for a while. <clears throat> like everything I'd talk about, I'd cry. So I don't know what that was. I mean, I- <laughs> weepy like when I talk about certain things I don't know I feel like a lot of shits happened like not shit but like a lot of emotional times have happened over the quarantine not just bad but like been all over the place all over the map oh wait (laughs) yeah Amanda's engaged Mm -hmm. yep he liked it so he put a ring on it yeah I mean look at me (laughs) that angle though (laughs) that angle I look like a turtle who lost its neck. Like my body's my shell. <laughs> um, no, dude, I totally get it. I had to go to the doctor and they put me on crazy pills because I'm sorry. They're not crazy pills. I just am very nonchalant about mental illness with me because we just it's, we're very open in our family about it. Um, I They put me on Prozac for my anxiety because I was a bit of a basket case. Uh, yeah, I have been as well, but all my doctor appointments got canceled oh i did virtual ones i haven't been on that meds so like any meds for that stuff so it's not something i can just do like tell them i'm having issues with it you know so i think that's why i've been weepy because i don't sleep because i can't sleep and then i pump in caffeine so that i'm awake but then that just makes my anxiety worse yeah Deaf. I had to give up anxiety. Or I had to give up anxiety. It just wasn't worth it. Yeah, I just uh, gave it up. <laughs> I had to give up caffeine because I because <laughs> I was uh it was making me worse. So mm-hmm. that's I'm like I want to, but then also I, I still need to can't function. sleep, and <laughs> I'm still having to go to work and deal with very yeah very draining kids. For lack of a better word, we're just gonna go straight draining children they but, suck the, sucking the lives out of little children <laughs> dude this is like our what we usually babble about before we start actually recording because now we're like traveling into a not very exciting tunnel of just very straight sober talk <laughs> very straight sober time okay have you you heard our podcast it's very sober it's very serious oh you got bony elbows all right i'm forcing my dog to cuddle with me and give me love yeah i saw that she's like no i'm gonna go and you grab a collar like no no you're gonna stay here and love on me you got a pretty mouth not like that that's creepy that's weird that's That's weird weird. i don't like that so should we cut all that out (laughs) no No, it's fine it's fine should i tell you a story though because it's been a beat probably are you ready for the ride of your life i don't know i feel like i'm ready to feel like a newbie again reading my story (laughs) and i picked a really heavy one and a really like 
like ambitious one for uh our first time back um mine ended up being a lot like bigger than i was expecting but it's like lacking in details because he like wouldn't talk about anything so it's it's a gong do you feel like you're in a gong (laughs) i apologize all right what do you got for me what do i got what do you got i'm going to tell you about i'm gonna go the murder of katie eastburn Okay. Because I think the victim is the most important person in this. Important <laughs> person. Um, everything I read, I had to read by like searching for the guy who is believed to have done it. And I, it kept annoying me because I kept trying to search for her. And it was like, so. So and so. So and so. And it's like, so what about the, her? The way that I told this is it, it's real dark in like the first three paragraphs. Right. Cool. And then the rest is like the whole court proceeding, which is kind of the big part of like, the juicy tenderloin of this, of, of this story. Why? Why do I wish that this was like a cannibal story? Just because that's how you <laughs> use that. So do I, but it's not, and that, okay. it's gonna make you real sad. So I'm sorry. All right. So we're starting off on May 11th, 1985. Let's travel back. We weren't born yet. Neither were our sisters. Nope. But they were at least. Wait, Molly would have been. No, she's 86. Oh. So she's younger than Katie. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it was Mother's Day, which just (laughs) makes this so much better. Uh, so Bob Seedfelt uh, noticed three uncollected newspapers in his neighbor's driveway. He knew his neighbor, Katie Eastburn, was living there alone with her three children, while her husband, Gary, was an Air Force captain, was away at Squadron Officers School in Alabama. So they are, lived in Fayetteville Alabama. at Fort Bragg. Okay. North Carolina. Um, he had not seen any movement from the Eastburn, Eastburn home for at least three days, uh, which suggested that Katie and the girls may have gone to visit Gary. However, their Toyota station wagon was still in the driveway and hadn't moved in days. Always a bad sign. So he went next door and rang the doorbell several times and he heard a baby crying inside, but no answer to the door. So, um, he went back to the house and had his wife call the sheriff's office, and then he waited at the house waiting for the sheriffs to arrive. Okay. So, uh, parole officer, not a parole, patrol officer <laughs> <laughs> arrived at the Eastburn's house. Um, he cut a window screen and climbed into the bedroom, uh, and inside, 22-month-old Jana was crying in her crib. Um, the officer passed Jana back through the window to Seedfelt because of the strong odor that was permeating through the house. Okay, I'm bracing myself because I'm assuming that's a yes. bad sign. Uh, when the officer stepped into the hallway, he saw dead bodies at the end of the hall, so he radioed the homicide unit and left. Like, went back outside. Okay. Uh, Robert Biddle and Jack Watts were the detectives from the Cumberland County Sheriff's Department. Uh, appeared on the scene just a few minutes late, uh, later at 1 p.m. Um, Watts actually headed the homicide unit, so they had kind of like the main people on this. 
Um, they entered the house through the carport door, inspecting each room along the way. So here's where it's... Okay, I'm ready. Strap in. Strap on. <laughs> uh, no. Okay, uh, just kidding. <laughs> in the living room, they saw a pair of jeans, two buttons that had been ripped off a blouse, and a pair of uh, women's underwear that were torn. Um, they then found the body of five-year-old Kara. She was found curled up underneath a Star Wars blanket that was covered in blood. She had been stabbed over ten times. Next, they entered the master bedroom where three-year-old Aaron was found bludgeoned, stabbed, and almost decapitated. Holy shit. On the other side lay Katie who was naked from the waist down. Her bra was up around her neck and her underwear had been cut off. She had been raped and then stabbed 15 times. All three individuals had their throats slit. 22-month-old Jana was found unharmed, but distressed and hungry. Uh, she had been left in her crib for more than three days with no food and no water. I can't. <laughs> Um, so this was like a small middle class neighborhood that really doesn't didn't have any crime. It was part of Fort Bragg. So mm -hmm. um, the the slaying stunned like the entire community. Um, the detectives notified Gary, who flew to Fayetteville immediately um, and went directly to the police station. Uh, they informed him what happened, and then they returned to the house, which was cordoned off with police tape. Um, they crime scene technicians had found fingerprints and hair. They did a luminol test, which produced a glow when the chemical reacts with the iron with hemoglobin. You guys know that. Um, and it showed faint smears of blood on the walls and in the master bed bathroom, as if someone had tried to clean the place up. Mm -hmm. uh, the detectives took Gary on a walk through his home, looking for any missing items. Can you imagine having to do that? That's they. After the crime, after the whole crime scene had been sweeped and cleared. Okay. They brought him back to his house. Yep. And asked him to walk through and see if they could find anything, if he could notice anything missing or out of place in the home. I, so, yep, nope. I can't imagine. An envelope of cash, Katie's ATM card, and a piece of paper with the ATM passwords were all gone. Um... So the detectives pressed Gary for leads. He told them that Katie had recently given away Dixie, the family dog, because the family had planned to move later that year to England, where Gary was slated for a job as a liaison to the Royal Air Force. Okay. Uh, the couple worried that Dixie, who was an English setter and kind of high strung, would not tolerate quarantine that was required for bringing a dog overseas. Oh, okay. Um, and they wanted to give, a, give her away to a nice home. Okay. Uh, he didn't know anything about the man who took the dog other than that uh, he came to pick the dog up on Tuesday, May 7th. Uh, the Cumberland County Sheriff's Department announced that they wanted whoever had adopted Dixie to come forward for questioning. Uh, they stated on the news broadcast, we have no idea who it is, but anybody who went to the house, we need to talk to. Okay. Uh, then a man named Patrick Cohn came forward. He told the detectives that on 
Friday morning at around 3.30, he had seen a tall white man wearing jeans, a cap, and a black members-only jacket leaving the Eastburn's driveway with garbage bag, a garbage bag slung over his shoulder. Uh, a jan- Cone was a janitor whose shift started, earl- or started around that day at dawn, was walking along the, the row of houses, like on the, the road, to his job. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, guy, the man has said to Cone, leaving a little early this morning... And then waved and got into his white uh, Chevy and then pulled away. Okay. So he was walking down the street, saw a guy come down the driveway, said, leaving a little early this morning. And then he got in his car and drove away. And then Cone kept walking. Yep. Um, Okay. That Tuesday, Cone worked with an agent and created a composite sketch of the man. So then the following Wednesday... Tim Hennis was at home having lunch with his wife when a special news broadcast came across the television. It announced investigators the investigators' interest in a man who had driven a white Chevette, sorry, not a Chevy, Chevette, and had picked up an English setter from 367 Summerhill Road the previous week, who had the who the occupants of that house had been murdered. So basically the news broadcast was like, we need to know who bought this dog right who's this guy who's this guy uh tim hennis and his wife saw that and a meteor were like hey we bought that dog right no she was murdered um so they went they went to the police station and said hey we bought their dog let's have this conversation right here we are this is us it's not us okay or is it right so an officer led hennis into a room for questioning when watts saw hennis he paused because hennis's face and the composite sketch were nearly identical Ooh. Uh, the authorities then determined that the murders likely took place on thursday night as katie had been seen by the neighbors earlier that evening and the newspapers then had begun to pile up on friday morning okay uh, so Watts asked Hennis to recount his activities of that night. Hennis said that he had driven his wife and daughter to his in-laws, then returned home after stopping for gas. He answered many questions impatiently. Uh, he had kind of an arrogant attitude uh, that kind of indicated he was better than questioning and didn't feel the need to be there. Uh, but he did stay for almost seven hours and provided blood, saliva, and hair samples, as well as fingerprints and palm prints. Okay, so uh, when the Texas asked him about Katie Eastburn, he acknowledged picking up the dog on Tuesday. He said he responded to the advertisement in the local newspaper. Uh, He went to the home at approximately 9 p.m. that night. He told Katie that he and his wife Angela loved dogs and thought that Dixie would be a perfect addition to their family. He then uh, took the English setter home um, to he had another dog at home and he wanted to make sure that they would get along well. Right. Makes sense. So they kind of took it home for a trial period. He said he had not even gotten Katie's name, but and claimed that he had, Katie had called him on Thursday night to see how Dixie was getting along with their other dog. And that was it. Okay. So when Hannes was interviewed, he said he couldn't provide an alibi for the night because his wife was out of town and he drove her home. Or drove her there, dropped her off, and then drove back home and was alone. 
Hmm, so, that. Uh, detectives indicate in their notes that he was a challenge to interrogate. Uh, he had actually scored 128 on the Army General Aptitude Test, which placed him in the 97th percentile. <laughs> Dog sneeze. You got the Rona? Don't sneeze on me, you little gremlin. You done? Okay. Don't Sorry, guys. make her cuddle and then <laughs> let her for breathing. All right? It's not breathing. She sneezed on me. <laughs> uh, so they didn't anyway. think because of his aptitude that he would likely slip up in his they thought he was too smart to fuck up not that they didn't think he would be likely to slip up because he was very bright and he would that's why he was hard to interrogate as well he okay it was basically that um okay so before they let hennis go they brought in cone and who was the guy who saw him they said leave the house or whatever Mm-hmm. to do a photo lineup uh, while Hennis was still in custody. A photograph was taken of Hennis and the image was pasted onto a manila folder along five other photos of blonde mustache mustache. <laughs> it says mustachioed men. <laughs> <laughs> I typed wrong. <laughs> mustache men. Mustachioed men. <laughs> um so they showed him the pictures and asked if he recognized any of the men. He said number five has his nose, but it's definitely number two. And number two was Hennis. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Biddle returned to the station and told Watts, but they didn't have a warrant, so they had to let Hennis go home. Right. Uh, later that evening, though, they were able to get a warrant, and they um, went to Hennis's house when he came to the door, detectives and agents from the State Bureau of Investigation uh, came in, and he said, I hope you guys know what you're doing. He was then handcuffed and charged with three counts of murder and one count of rape, and his response to those charges was, looks like I'm going to get to wear one of those little orange jumpsuits. What the fuck? So, the Army, which technically had jurisdiction over Hennis, could have court-martialed him on murder charges, but normally crimes committed off base were generally pr- they j- allowed to be were they <laughs> that was nice um, they normally treat allowed crimes that were off happened off base to be treated so, as civilian yeah crimes right so Hennis's father, who was a retired IBM executive, immediately hired two very prominent Fayetteville lawyers uh, to defend his son. There oh. were several witnesses that recalled seeing a white Chevette on Summerhill Road the evening of the murders and Hennis's alibi that he returned home immediately after dropping off his wife and daughter at his in-laws was rendered ineffective when his ex-girlfriend told detectives a different story. Ooh. Tell him. What's up? So, on May 9th... You looked at me funny. <laughs> that's because I, I thought your speaker was going out because I couldn't hear you for a second. It, like, came in and out, but I didn't know if it was my speaker or your speaker. Oh. Well? Oh, booping the nose. Just booping the nose. Sorry. My dog is just the cutest. Okay. So, um... May 9th. Tennis 
uh, his ex-girlfriend. Fucking A. Okay, so Nancy Miser, who was his ex-girlfriend, stated that on May 9th, Hennis, knowing that her husband was deployed in Germany, made an unannounced visit. Um, she let him in and they talked. She asked Hennis, what's going on with your marriage? And he said, she left me. Kind of misleading that she actually left him instead of just was visiting her parents. Okay. Uh, when he got no encouragement, it, it was almost like he was trying to hook up. Right. And when he got no encouragement, he left. So after hearing that, and the detectives were putting together kind of the, the time frame of the murders and things like that, what they believed happened is that after he was rejected by his ex-girlfriend, uh, he had, whether Katie called him to talk about the dog or whether he had initiated contact, um, he had gone to her house because she was another attractive woman who he knew was home alone. Oh, okay. Um, and then when he may have met with rejection again, he lost control and attacked her. Yeah, air quotes. Air quotes. <laughs> um, they had interviewed other people, witnesses, co-workers from the local Bennigans that he worked at that said that he was short-tempered and was okay. known to kind of fly off the handle. Um... Also, the Friday morning after the murders, Hennis had taken a single item of clothing to the dry cleaners, which was a black members-only jacket. Hey. Uh, that Saturday, his neighbors also stated that he had poured lighter fluid into a 55-gallon barrel and had a bonfire burning for at least five hours. Also probably burning his other clothes. Well, yeah. Had he burned Shit. evidence... Um, he did go voluntarily to the police station, but both detectives believed that it was it was basically arrogance. Right. He didn't think he, he his attitude is basically you can't get me. I'm smarter than you. Too smart to be caught. Right. So, um, 1985, there the forensic science was not the greatest. Right. Um, DNA technology wasn't really being used in any type of law enforcement or criminal cases. Uh, Scotland Yard had actually just begun experimenting with DNA testing. And they actually did write to Scotland Yard asking if they would help in this case. But because it involved military personnel as well as civilians, they chose to... They said no. Yeah, I mean... Right. Um, but they believed they had enough circumstantial evidence uh, that he was the right guy. Right. Okay. So... A month before trial, other another eyewitness emerged. Investigators had discovered that the ATM card stolen from Katie Eastburn was used on May 10th at 11 o'clock at night and on May 11th at 9 o'clock in the morning. Both times, the maximum amount allowed was $150, uh, and that was withdrawn. Hennis paid a monthly rent of $310, and he was late that month with only a partial payment. $310? In 85 I'm just saying, that'd be nice. <laughs> uh, and he had a history of financial problems, including three prior convictions for writing bad checks. He was actually kicked out of flight school for bouncing checks and lying to an officer about it. Huh. Um, well. So after the murder, uh, investigators tracked down a woman who had visited the ATM three minutes after the stolen card had been used. On Saturday morning, and that woman recalled seeing a tall man with blonde hair wearing camouflage pants and getting into a small, light-colored car. 
which they believe to be right right uh so before the trial they offered a plea bargain of two counts of second degree murder with a likely penalty of two consecutive life sentences and he turned it down saying i won't plead guilty to something i didn't do okay mr smarter than you the trial began in the summer of 1986 at the trial um the lead prosecutor william van story told the jurors what happened in that house was utter madness it's one of the most tragic things that ever happened in this country. He showed dozens of gruesome photographs from the crime scene. Um, Cohn also took the stand and identified Hennis as the man he saw on the morning of May 10th. Uh, he also basically used a very emotional language for the closing argument. Uh, his direct quote was, there is your baby killer, he told the jury, pointing directly at Tim Hennis. He's the one responsible for the deaths of these kids and their mother. The man responsible for taking their lives is sitting in this courtroom, breathing the same air as you are, and hopefully he won't be breathing for much longer. Took a hard stance. The jury deliberated for 10 hours before returning a guilty verdict on all counts. Uh, Three of the first degree murders and one for rape. Uh, Hennis pulled off his wedding band and told the Richardson, which is one of his attorneys, give this to Angela and tell her I love her, which was his wife. Uh, He was led from the courtroom to a suicide prevention cell, and three days later, he was sentenced to death. So, you'd think this was the end of it, right? Never is. It's not. (laughs) So, uh, while defense lawyers prepared an appeal, Hennis was shifted to an upstate prison in Raleigh. Um, he was one of the 17 convicts on death row, and then nine weeks after he arrived, an inmate uh, was executed by lethal injection at the facility, and then he received a letter signed by a Mr. X. And this letter was also sent to the sheriff's office, and it said, Dear Mr. Hennis, I did the crime. I murdered the Eastburn. Sorry you're doing the time. I'll be safely out of North Carolina when you read this. Thanks, Mr. X. Oh, okay um so then katie after katie was murdered gary canceled his plans to go abroad but then he finally did accept a liaison job in 1988 and took Jana to england with him fast forward a few months later the detectives called gary saying that he needed to come back to north carolina because hennis's appeal had reached the state supreme court and uh, Hennis's lawyer argued that many graphic fo- the many graphic photos shown by the prosecution had un- unduly inflamed the jurors against his client. Uh, the judges ruled five and two in Hennis's favor and awarded him a real trial. Okay. So uh, they also invoked the Hennis ruling is actually still invoked today by defense attorneys seeking to limit the presentation of photographs that are redundant. Or that could unfairly prejudice jurors against their client. Okay. Hey. So, uh, for almost three years, Hennis's defense lawyers had been preparing ways to undermine the, gu- the prosecution's case. At the retrial, uh, they focused on discrediting Patrick Cohn. So, part of the issue was is that these defense lawyers had spent and been paid the last three years to t- dismantle this case. And the prosecution that originally presented the case had moved on to other jobs. So there was a different prosecution team now presenting the case. And it was almost like they phoned it in, is what they described the case being. Right. So, um, 
they um they focused on discrediting cone they called him a thief and a liar because between the first and second trials cone had committed several criminal offenses he attempted to use a stolen atm card he was drunk in public and obstructing an officer driving a car with an expired registration um, and during the episode, he told the cop, you can't arrest me. I'm helping you guys out. You need to check with your district attorney. They know me. I'm their witness. Um, I was a witness in a Hennis trial, you know, um, kind of name dropping, basically, Tim Hennis's name. So those charges were all dismissed against him, Cone. Okay. So, um... And actually, on the night of February 1989, when I was I was born that year, um, Jack that month, uh, Jack Watts uh, was actually actually stopped a vehicle that Cone was driving with a friend in the passenger seat. Cone failed a sobriety test, and instead of arresting him, Watts told Cone's friend to drive him home. Um, and that friend later informed Tennis's defense team that Cone had told him, "I can do anything I want." That's really annoying. I'm yes. annoyed. So, Hennis's lawyers also suggested that Cohn's testimony at the first trial was inaccurate because he described the weather that night as being super, been very clear uh, with stars out, but they called the meteorologist to the defense who said it was overcast and cloudy. <laughs> I'm like, really? That's what you're... Okay, you're gonna... Um, so, they... They still, the prosecution still held on Cone's word, saying he may have some problems. He was a street kid and he drank, but he didn't have to come forward and he did. So, okay. um, they, there was just so many different things that they brought up. The fact that, um, Gary did confirm that two months before Hennis picked up the dog, Katie had received a threatening phone call in the middle of the night from a man who knew her name and said that he was coming over that's scary um, the unsettling letters from mr x were read aloud in the courtroom uh the defense also emphasized that just weeks after the murders the women who testified to seeing a man resembling hennis at the atm had told an investigator i don't really remember anything um and then that she'd really only firmed up her description and story like right before the first trial so her witness testimony was kind of shaky Okay. There were a pair of new witnesses that testified. Um, one of them was a woman who delivered the Raleigh News Observer. Each morning revealed that about 1.45 a.m. she had seen in front of the Eastburn home a long-haired man driving a light-colored van. Okay. So, um, and then the kind of piece de resistance uh, was that the defense called to the stand a blonde teenage boy from Eastburn's neighborhood who habitually walked along Summerhill Road late at night and admitting to do a, doing so around 3 a.m. on May 10th. Um, the, and the guy, when he walked in, was the spitting image of Tim. It looked like his twin brother. Oh, really? Yeah, That's interesting. Uh, the footprints found outside the house were three sizes smaller than Hennis's shoes. A splot of blood discovered on the bathroom towel did not match Hennis's blood. Or anyone else in the house. They had also found in the Eastburn's house several hairs, including a pubic hair, that belonged to neither Hennis or any of the victims. However, the house was a rental house. Okay, so it and some been of the over. things in the house were from the rental house. Right. So, 
Um, and the prosecution really didn't have anything because they didn't spend three years putting this case together to kind of counteract that. Right. Um, so on April 10th, 1989, Hennis took the stand. Um, he answered questions about that night. He was asked if he found Catherine Eastburn attractive. And he said, it depends on what you find attractive. And prosecution said, did you think she was an attractive woman? And he said, I guess she was. But he repeatedly admitted that he had no contact with her. He didn't know her at all. Hadn't even known her name. Um, so, the, so then that stick, that's not lining up with all that. Because obviously he knew who she was if he knew she was attractive. Or is this after well, she no. he had seen? It was after he had He said that when he picked the dog up, he didn't even ask her name. Okay. So he didn't really know oh, who she was. So he didn't know, was. like, the information. Yeah. He had seen her, but didn't know any of her information. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I'm then... <laughs> <laughs> the both sides rested a week later, and then the defense attorney in their closing statements during this trial said, you have physical evidence crying to you, just absolutely crying to you that he is not the man. You've got a pubic hair in there that ain't him. They're putting a doggone square peg in a round hole, and it doesn't fit, and it stinks. If the the glove don't fit, you must Must quit. quit. I need a beverage. Just just lubricate your throat. Oh, that's better. Oh, that shit's fresh. Gosh. That's fucking fresh. Okay. So... Uh, two days later, the jury reached a verdict, not guilty on all counts. Fair. So, um, they one interviewed said, I just don't see how we could have done anything different. After more than 800 days on death row, Hennis left the courtroom. Um, and several of the jurors actually shook his hand. So, okay. the detectives actually said it was probably one of the worst moments of their career in their life because they had driven Gary to that court hearing. So they had to drive him back to like two hours back to the airport that day after he, they, he had been let go. And they said that that was the longest drive he'd ever been in his, on in his life. He felt sick. Like someone had sucked the air out of him. I felt like I right. let Gary down. Like I let Jana down that I let Katie and Kara and Aaron down. That's sad. So, you'd think that was the end of it, wouldn't you? No, of course not. I never believe anything's the end of anything. Tis not. So, (laughs) (laughs) after the acquittal, uh, Hennis had to decide whether or not to re-enlist in the Army. Um, In 1987, the Supreme Court decision had granted the military greater jurisdiction over civilian crimes, making it possible that he could actually be court-martialed for this. Okay. Uh, but he re-enlisted anyway, receiving three years of back pay, a good conduct medal, and promotion to a staff sergeant. Uh, in September of 1990, he shipped off to Saudi Arabia for Operation Desert Shield. Um, he was in the Somalia. He flew back home after Black Hawk Down. He received awards and accolades for his service. Um, one superior described him as a sterling example for all, and a colleague called him an outstanding soldier. Uh, in 98, uh, they moved to Fort Lewis in Washington, 
And at that time, he was he moved 15 minutes away from where Gary Eastburn was currently residing. Oh. Like, they didn't know they were that close to each other. Weird. Ugh. Yeah. Um, Ugh. Gary had returned to England and met and married a British nurse, left the Air Force, and remained abroad another few years before moving back. Um, by the time Hennis moved to Washington, he had become a scout man master, um, leading the boys on hiking trips and um, to Mount Rainier. He retired from the Army in July of 2004 after 23 years of service with the rank of master sergeant. And then he was working at a waste treatment facility. Okay. So he's just minding his goddamn business. Living his life. Living his life. On May 12th, 2005 20 years after the eastburn murders scott wisnant a 27 year old reporter who had covered the hennis trial for the wilmington morning star and had written a book about the case met a group of north carolina detectives who were discussing the case a crime analysis had worked with the fayetteville police department and was teaching a seminar for homicide detectives on advanced criminal intelligent techniques and he was presenting the unsolved eastburn murders as a study Uh, They had actually used his book to help develop the course. Cool. Um, As he was preparing to leave, a homicide detective from the Cumberland County wanted to speak with him privately. Um, He wanted to ask him a couple of questions about the case and his opinion on it. And his response to that detective was there, there was only one explored evidence or one path that had gone unexplored for this case and that was now because it was 2005 that of the dna so okay um, tomb sperm samples were taken from katie eastburn's body with a vaginal swab although dna testing had been unsophisticated in the late 80s in 2005 they could send the samples now for a lab to be tested um wisnet had told the detective it's a lab case now that's really all you need to do right it's so, like everything else has been every other avenue has been explored now we need to do this new stuff right so trotter discovered the sperm samples were being kept by the cumberland county sheriff's office he retrieved them and sent them to the state bureau's lab um, the amount of sperm left on the swabs was sufficient to run a dna test okay cool a year later he received the results the dna profile belonged to tim hennis <gasps> fucker motherfucker so, according to the fi- forensic biologist who conducted the test, the sample was 1.2 quadrillion times more likely to be from Hennis than from any other white person in North Carolina. Damn. So, like, it w- it's fucking him. It's you, but, you little bitch. Uh, he said at that this point, um, for a DNA respo- uh, result like that, um, his exact quote was, you have Hennis' sperm in the vaginal vault of a dead woman. Which speaks volumes. I so, mean, it's, it's a little off color, but I'll take it. Well, I mean, you know, you do. It's right. There's no. It's, it's literally. It is what it is at that point. Did you eat something? What's happening? I got dog there? hair uh, in my <laughs> lip. I, I keep watching you, and I'm like, "What's going on?" <laughs> it's there. I can feel it, but I can't get rid of it. <laughs> the beard hair. Um. <laughs> just watching you like trying not to say anything not to say anything i'm like okay i gotta say hey dude what are you doing what's happening with your mouth (laughs) um so forensic technology 
Okay. So, despite all of the proof or not circumstantial evidence that the defense had presented at the trial in which he was proven not guilty, they now held a trump card, which was his DNA inside her body. However, right. double jeopardy. He was oh, yeah. already provo- pro- blah, blah, blah. He was already You okay? What? <laughs> I said, are you okay? <laughs> no. It was okay. he was already uh what is it? The jury had already come back with a not guilty verdict. So it was always Correct. already determined that he was not guilty. So they can't try him again for the same thing because of double jeopardy. Or can they? Ooh, I bet you I know what they did. Okay, well don't tell them. Let I'm me excited. let me tell them. Okay. So <laughs> Biddle admittedly or Totter, I can't talk. Trotter, who was the detective that tested the DNA, then called Robert Biddle, who was one of the original detectives, and said, We got a hit on DNA. Guess who it is? It's Tim Hennis. Who then called Gary, and Gary, it was like, Hey, Gary, guess who it is? It's Tim Hennis. Weird. Y'all fucking knew it. It's weird. So, what Gary had said when he heard is, You kind of think you get over it and all but it's just lying right below the surface that they had the right man all along and he walked free so frustrating yes so because of the double jeopardy and the fifth amendment ensures that no citizen can be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb for the same offense um they couldn't the state of north carolina could do literally nothing however army regulations state that a person subject to the uniform code of military justice who had been tried as a civilian court may but ordinarily will not be tried by court martial ordinarily yes. will not being the key phrase there <laughs> so there was like this huge i didn't put it all in here because it was like a whole history lesson that we didn't fucking need right now is a lengthy story as it is um but it's gone back and forth like throughout history based on like wars and things like that as to whether or not the military has the right to charge a member of their service for a crime that happened when they were basically a civilian. So it didn't happen when they were in uniform. It didn't happen under military orders. It happened when they were in a convenience store off duty or whatever. Right. But as it stands right now, you can still be court-martialed for that conduct. Yes. But it's gone back and forth throughout the years. Right. So they Grannis or one of the pro the prosecutors invited three Fort Bragg attorneys to his office in downtown Fayetteville. They presented the case and the DNA evidence. The military attorneys took the file to John Vines, the commanding general of Fort Bragg, who didn't deliberate long. Uh he state in, stated that in the army justice does not have a price. Uh, he asked the Secretary of the Army to approve recalling Hennis to active duty, as any re- retired soldier can be, and charging him with three counts of murder. Uh, the actual state limitations had expired on the rape charge, which is bullshit. Yeah, that's... Um, I, hate, I fucking hate it. Fucking I hate even, it. I don't even want to talk about it. Don't get me started. Um, within weeks, the request had been granted. So on September 26, 2006... Two military lawyers and an agent of from Fort Briggs Criminal Investigative Division, uh, accompanied by two local policemen, 
went to Hennis's home. Um, they gave him the orders. His response was, this is bullshit. Get off my property. Okay. So um, they left, but he reported for duty the next month under unusual circumstances. So he was charged with three counts of murder and was facing the death penalty. But while they were preparing their case, he was still collecting full military pay and benefits because they had to put him back on active duty. Right. They so he was just basically no. just pushing paperwork in the office and paying him yeah. to do that. Um, so the court martial of Tim Hennis began on March 17th, 2010 at Fort Bragg Courthouse. Uh, Colonel Patrick Parrish, who had also been a judge for the military commission in Guantanamo Bay, was who presided. Okay. Uh, there were 14 uniformed men and women who took their seats in the jury box. The jurors were in, known in a court-martial as members, uh, were equal to or in greater rank than Hennis. Uh, for a conviction, two-thirds of them would have to agree to on Hennis's guilt, and a death sentence would require that the jurors be unanimous about both the conviction and the punishment. Okay. Makes sense. So, Hennis hired a top military defense lawyer. Uh, the government assigned a 29-year-old Captain Matt Scott to the case. Uh, it was his first murder trial, uh, but the court-martial began 21 years almost to the day. Af no, it's not. 21, yeah, to the day Hennis had been declared innocent in Wilmington. Okay. Uh, and the only difference between this trial and the previous trials is that the DNA evidence, basically. Right. So, um... Gary Eastburn said that being back in the courtroom, he saw, he said, I thought for a third time this would be easy. It wasn't. He said, the anger that I felt toward Hennis came all rushing back, especially when at one point I looked over at him and he was asleep at the table. What the fuck? Yeah, I can imagine where you're like, I just want to go over there and deck you. Um, so they went back and forth, presented all the same evidence to both the defense and the prosecution. Um, the only difference this time is the defense suggested that Hennis and Katie Eastburn had consensual sex. Isn't that always the go-to if uh, there's DNA found? Right. He declared that in court that the DNA evidence could support an argument of adultery, but does it take you beyond adultery to murder? What if Hennis and Katie had slept together on Tuesday night, which was f four days after she was murdered? Um... He said one of the ways of the world and one of the things that we know about human nature is that things can occur spontaneously and for no significant reason. A young soldier whose wife just had a baby recently, a captain's wife, while a captain has been away for a long time. All I'm asking is, is it, is it possible that something occurred independent of the murders? So, however, this argument didn't go over well because... The jurors themselves were often deployed far from home and were unlikely to just embrace that, yeah, my, my spouse probably fucked someone too when I was gone. You know, right. like, like that I mean, just happens all the time. It's just normal. Um, but also, the medical examiner called to witness stated that um, when he reviewed the bodies and had de determined the abundant and intact sperm, it had to have been deposited in Katie shortly before her death. Yeah, so, like, I, I, I'm i just... He, he stated that 
Um, he could not specify an exact time frame, but noted that after a day or two, sperm diminishes, losing their tails and disintegrates. <laughs> so you just got loose sperm tails falling out of you for a couple of days after you bang without a condom. Just think about that next time. Um, sperm unla- <laughs> tails falling out. Sperm of you. tails falling out of you. <laughs> You're, you're gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gross. That's gross. Um, <laughs> so, unlike the fingerprints, blood, and hair found at the scene, another prosecutor could contend that Hennessy's semen was the only piece of evidence that was found at the house that has a timestamp. Because okay. of, like, the amount of semen that was inside of her. Which is gross. <laughs> but oh, it's, that's, it's like what tied... I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. It's a fact. That, it's a fact, but it's gross. Um, <laughs> I'm just like the the other thing that the defense failed to bring or to have an answer for was that although Hennis had admitted to finding Katie attractive in both trials prior, he had previously stated he had never had any contact with her other than picking up the dog and the phone call on Thursday night that he didn't even know her name that he had no interest in her that they had no contact other than those two interactions right so no it's not possible that they could have been banging on the side right like i feel like this would have been brought up at one point right so um this is super sad so wait hold on i'm jumping forward okay so on april 8th after three hours of deliberation, the jury reached a unanimous verdict of guilty. Good. Uh, then came the question of the death penalty. The matter was complicated by the life Hennis had led in the 21 years since his exoneration because of all his military awards and things like that. Right. Um, so during the sentencing phase, Gary Eastburn again took the stand. Uh, Scott asked him what he missed most about Katie, Kara, and Aaron. He said, it's just them. I miss being with them. And then he looked to the front row where his wife was sitting and he said i'm sorry i don't know if there's two better wives in the world that a person could have had but how can she sit there and listen to me talk about a woman i once loved and still do and not hold it against me i realized that i was going it was going to be a conundrum that she must feel like i'm betraying her that i'm being unfaithful but i have to say what i feel and it's that i miss them that's all that's so sad so sad So, a week later, the panel delivered its verdict. All of the members concur and sentence you to be be reduced to the grade of E1, to forfeit all pay and allowances, and to be dishonorably discharged from the service, and to be put to death. Good, fucker. Kill him. Kill him all. So, uh, he is appealing his conviction still. He's still in prayer jail. Um, he, um... They've done a couple of appeals, but nothing has come of it. But they are, um, I think Trump reenacted the death penalty, so they're now, again, executing people that were court-martialed. But for a while, there was a stay on it. But um, there has been multiple um, like requests for appeal that have either been denied or are still in appeals. Um, okay. So his attorneys claim that his break-ins... Oh, so what they're trying to appeal it on is that this happened. So he had a break-in service because he was not a part of the 
not technically an active member of the military when this happened and mm-hmm. then he re-enlisted oh, so, so because it happened say, they're yeah. saying that because of his break in service it renders any alleged crimes from the first term of service immune to prosecution okay. i just said crimes i know you did i was like <laughs> i saw your face i'm like oh i'm just gonna you're, you're, you think you thought i was just gonna let that go no so, well i wasn't gonna say anything <laughs> i just had to do this and what his attorneys are saying is that the law is very clear and the federal courts could set him free today. Uh, but whichever side loses will likely appeal the Supreme Court. So it's basically just going to be in appeals and he's in prison. Right. Um, basically what they have said is that at most what would happen is that it would just commute to a life sentence. That he wouldn't get to walk free or it wouldn't right. go to a new trial. Right. But he is the one and only man to ever have been sentenced to death, then appeal it, be released, found not guilty, and then resentenced to death. Oh, boy. And just take him out back. Yeah. Well, and that case is so back and forth because there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that point to him not being the person that did it. Right. But there's also a lot of circumstantial and actual physical DNA evidence that point to him being the person that did See, it. And so that's where some, I stand. Right. And there's some people that, like the one attorney, actually feels remorse for suggesting that they get that DNA tested because they he doesn't think that Tim Henson, or Tim, I don't even know what his fucking name is. Hennis Henson. Jim Henson. No. Tim Hennis. <laughs> Um, he doesn't think he's guilty because he had interviewed him multiple times for his book and stuff like that. So he doesn't think he's guilty. I'm like, how can he not be guilty? She was full of his sperm. Like, it's just, that's what it keeps coming back to. In my mind, that sort of like concrete evidence outweighs anything that's like circumstantial or even his demeanor when he's being questioned. Cause I'm sure that's part of their like he right. seem this this and this that's great you know a lot of people don't seem like that and they still killed and raped many people so right mm-hmm. and then it's like consensual sex it's like yeah you bring that up when they figure out that it's your semen not when they knew there was semen there in the first place right like mm, i think i think it's like oh yeah by the way we were like banging and stuff, but I didn't really know her. I knew I didn't even of- know her name. Did you Fucker. buy her? D- okay, no, I'm not going there. Don't even, don't even, don't make jokes. It's not funny. It's not, it's not a funny joke. It's not funny joke, Nielsen. Dude, I just, I'm so mad. Like I just want him to die. Like I, is that terrible of me? No, I'm, I feel like I have a lot of. uh no sympathy for crime like people who kill children yeah that's what i mean like my first thought is if you did it like i'm almost like this is going to be really controversial but it's to me when it comes to like the death of a child like that it's almost better to let a guilty man up who could possibly be guilty die than to let a guy who could possibly be guilty live well, and it's, like I'm, that's where I'm like, it's I it, to I, that extent, I would say let him not letting him free. Yeah, I if guess. it's not for but, sure, yeah, maybe death is a little much. I yeah, but but I, but I just 
yeah no I totally I mean I'm totally uh in the same boat where I feel like there's too many times that people walk on the side of caution and then more kids and more people are harmed and Mm -hmm. it's and I get that that doesn't make it okay to have a not guilty person right I think he fucking did it but I I could see it I but you I could see that there are the police didn't really look at anybody else yeah you know so I could see how there are quite a few like I think there's open spots and holes that can be poked into the case right where they're like but what about this they but didn't I still look into that but I still think he fucking did it <laughs> I think he did it because I mean I feel like the DNA itself and then his sudden backtrack saying that they were consensually having sex well and technically right he there. didn't say it the defense was just trying to go you can't prove that it wasn't consensual yeah you know like you can't prove that the sex didn't happen separate from the murders as he's sitting there sleeping right yeah okay so that's that was my story that was a good story good job oh thanks that was something that i had not planned for i was randomly searching and i was like oh what's this and i was like oh this oh we're gonna gonna do this one then (laughs) okay that's uh mine i wouldn't say it's the exact same timeline but it's pretty close to the same timeline like way things work out wise it's kind of nice. weird okay oh, you were saying years i'm like huh. 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 there's oats all over my bed from that brownie i ate first world problems i tell you <laughs> fat world problems god there's oats, oats all over all my, my bed, bed from that brownie, from brownie that i ate it's fat world problems, not first world problems. <laughs> fat man in a little coat. Fat guy in a little coat. Richard! <laughs> Richard! <laughs> Why aren't you... Shh. <laughs> 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 Alright. Is he well, ready? On that oh, note... I don't want your shit, but I'll listen to your story. On a bladder. <laughs> don't give it to me. I don't want it. I don't want it. So I don't want no mo. So mine is definitely not, there's no real question on any of it. I mean, there you is. You know who did it. Right. And right out the gate, I jump right into it. So Oh, good. Tell me who it is. Oh, wait. John. Did- what you already told me who it is never mind yeah i was like have you ever heard of him because there were moments when i was like this sounds really familiar but i don't know if it sounds familiar from hearing it from a podcast or if it sounds familiar from hearing it from you hearing so i was like am i podcast? right like am i <laughs> not remembering this yeah, but but to be fair to be fair thank you um it uh I don't have a very good memory, so. <laughs> I have a terrible memory. I, if there's anything that I've learned about having this podcast about myself, my memory is shit. Correction. I have an amazing memory for unnecessary facts. Unnecessary things that I will remember clear as day and will fucking argue about. But like things that would be helpful. Fuck that shit. That I don't got I got I don't got no room in the file of facts for that. 
there are some things in my life that I just know that I'm not good at. <laughs> they are they are names, terrible at names. Um, and there are and they are like actors or movie titles. Like people will ask me, oh, you know that that guy that played this guy in this movie? I'm like, I know nope. what. And did he have a mustache? Like that's about <laughs> where I'm at. I uh, nope. <laughs> Got nope don't know that one. Um, I mine's math. We will. We all know this. Anyway, what's your story about? I don't even remember what his name is. Can you tell me? Say it yet? Oh, John. <laughs> I said his first name. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, what's his name? John Edward Robinson, aka Slave Master, aka Internet Slave Master. I'm not gonna call him any of that. No, I know. I agree. <laughs> he was born in December, December 27th, to be exact. Mm-hmm. of 1943 what were you in, doing in Sorry. 1943 yeah i was um i was being a pinup model oh yep that's what i was doing because i was a grown woman at that time <laughs> what were you doing in 1943 i was a whore in a brothel <laughs> just my round answer or just a witch in a castle about to be burned at the stake (laughs) a little late for all those but all right take it just keep going (laughs) he was born in cicero illinois Ooh, or cicero cicero i'm gonna go with cicero Cicero. it reminds me of the movie chicago and that's in illinois (laughs) hey So he was the third of five children. He had an alcoholic father and a disciplinarian mother. There's a lot of like details, but no details for his younger life. Like there's weird things that they focus on and different stuff. And I'm like, I don't care about his scoutmaster times. Like I want to know about his childhood. Thank <laughs> I want to know how he murdered people. <laughs> um, so in 1957, he was about 14 years old at this time. He became an Eagle Scout, and they even reported to have gone to London to meet Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, so this sh- is the kind of stuff. And they, like, had a whole, like, one of the things that I saw had, like, a whole paragraph about all these details about going there. I'm like... I don't give a shit! <laughs> that's, I'm not excited about him meeting Queen Elizabeth. He's a terrible human being. I'm not here for this. So... Get to the juicy tenderloin. Right. And the same year, he enrolled in a private boys' school for aspiring priests. Ew. That yep. whole thing just made me feel gross. Yep. It was a school in Chicago. Okay. But, sure. um, and then in 1961, at the age of 18, he enrolled in the Morton Junior College in his hometown in hopes of becoming an x-ray technician. Okay. He also ended up having to drop out of there. Um, so he moved to Kansas City in 1964, and he married a woman named Nancy Jo Lynch. Oh. They had John Jun- They had a son, John Jr., in 1965, and then they had a daughter in 1967 named Kimberly, and that followed was followed by twins in 1971, Christine and Christopher. So they kind of, like, they had themselves a good old pack of kids, you know? Jesus. So... Between his daughter and the twins in 1969, Robinson was arrested for the first time in Kansas City. He had embezzled $33,000 from a medical practice um, where he was working 
1969? Yeah. That's a shit ton of money. Right? No, with a doctor named Wallace Graham. He had forged his uh, his uh, credentials and was hired as an x-ray technician there. Yeah. So for this, he was put on like three years of probation. He only got three years probation for embellished am i fucking talking english you know what i was trying to say yes he did only get three years probation for that he must be white um yes uh then in 1970 he violated his probation by moving to chicago without permission from his parole officer okay there he took a job as an insurance salesman at rb jones company in 1971, he was once again arrested for embezzling from the firm that he was working for. Okay. He was sent back to Kansas City where he had his probation extended for the what he was charged for. So he got the extender? He got the extender <laughs> on his probation. <laughs> Did he get the extender? <laughs> so well, where is it? Well, where is it? <laughs> okay 1975 people are gonna have no idea where we're at they're like wait i don't know what's happening what's happening what's happening something about an extender so in 1975 he was arrested again on charges of security fraud and um mail fraud oh no yeah he was so he had created a phony medical consulting quotations around it business and once again, he just had his probation extended. Like, he's not serving any jail time for all these different, like, money, white-collar crime type things. So I don't really, I don't get, get it. it. I don't get it. I don't get it, but whatever. Because uh, he's white in the 70s. It's fair. <laughs> I still feel like it's a lot of money that he's been throwing around thinking he's all at in a yeah. bag of chips. <laughs> Okay. So oh, during no. during all this, he maintained the appearance of being a family man and a community leader, as they all do. Yes. And he was he, a pillar of the community, you would say. If you will. Yes. <laughs> yes. He was a scoutmaster, a baseball coach, and a Sunday school teacher. Hey, that's what my guy was too, a scoutmaster. I'm telling you. Dude, just random things. Weird. It's like we got ready. It's like we're going out and we dress the same. <laughs> it's like we're right? <laughs> It's like we're going out and we came out of our separate rooms at the same time with the same fucking thing on without talking about it. How many times does that happen? Too Every many fucking to time. Count. Every time. Oh, like, so well now I gotta change this. <laughs> I don't want to be twinsies. Why not? Because I just I want to be an individual. <laughs> I want to be myself. So in 1977. Uh, he was able to get himself on the board of directors for a local charitable like organization. Let Somehow me guess, he, like, he embezzles money. There he forged letters to the executive director to the mayor of the city. Oh. And he named himself the organi- organization's man of the year. <laughs> and he actually threw himself an awards banquet. <laughs> yeah. This is how, like, full of himself this fucking guy is. You know what? If I was gonna do that, though, I would do that. Like, if I'm just, like, fucking... I'm just making myself in charge of shit, fuck Fuck it. it. I'm gonna throw myself an awards (laughs) bit. 
<laughs> yeah, let's let's use that money for my honor. <laughs> let's so, have an award. What's the award for? I'm man of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Me? This guy. This guy. And then, so he was writing letters as other people, sending them to the mayor's like office, saying all these accolades about himself, and basically like <laughs> named himself man of the year sent it to the mayor so then the mayor's like oh this is great and then announced it to everybody and then they threw the charitable organization threw a luncheon for him because of all his great accolades that he made up and sent to the mayor (laughs) yeah it's fucking ridiculous (laughs) but also kind of funny right like what the hell he's like i just need a little more attention (laughs) you know what sounds good right now an award banquet for me for me give me presents <laughs> i need a present so in 1979 his probation wraps up then he's arrested again in 1980 lasted a long time uh, <laughs> for charges of guess embezzlement yes i was gonna and say prostitution check. but that's not right that's not right it doesn't even <laughs> go with what's happening no <laughs> it doesn't follow the storyline at all you're stupid he also forged checks and he served 60 days in jail in 1982 after finally that, did so. some jail time huh yeah 60 days two years after he was charged with it so that's cool good job tiger <laughs> so when he was released he made himself a fake hydro <laughs> Phonics business I don't know do you know what, what that, that is, is? hydrophonics it's like a, yeah it's like a subsection of horticulture so it's where they actually like he obviously wasn't doing this because it was fake but they actually I believe from what I was reading is where they germinate the seeds to sell the like brand new plants and try to cross pollinate and shit you lost me yeah so anyway so <laughs> With these fake businesses he's making now, he swindled $25,000 from a friend who invested in him. And he actually had promised this friend that he was going to give him his investment back right away because the friend's wife was dying <gasps> and he needed it for her medical like bills. Yeah. Son of a bitch. And he just like never gave him back his money awesome so that's why he was uh or man of the year that's why he was man of the year clearly um anyway so cool guy awesome (laughs) so he's a real cool cat like and kitten (laughs) and kitten (laughs) reports say that around this time he began propositioning neighbors wives for sex too (laughs) yeah he even like it caused a fist fight with one of his neighbors in the front yard of you that can't house. do that get out yeah. of here it's like what's up you on bone or no <laughs> hey no how about you you want my dick oh, you know i'm gonna go down this way <laughs> just slinging his dick house. uh so he also says that he joined a sadomasochistic cult named the international council of masters sounds terrifying this time yep saying he became the slave master of the group this basically meant that he was the one who lured in the victims that they would use um, at their gatherings to rape and torture and then sacrifice, in a sense. I don't want any of that. Yeah. No, thank so, you. So it's just getting better and better. I don't know. No, uh, no, in 1984, you. 
he started two more fake companies named Equa Plus and Equa Two, which I tried to figure out what they were, and I like I couldn't figure out what they were. I'm assuming they were some sort of like tech company yeah. in the eighties, but he hired a woman named Paula Godfrey, who was nineteen at the time. She was actually uh a mother so she was with this guy had a baby she was young then she kind of like that didn't work out with the guy so then she's like the single mother and it's mid 80s like it's not quite as like normal Mm -hmm. as it is now as weird as that sounds so he had put a newspaper article or in the want ads saying that he was looking for someone to work for this uh so her friends and family were told that she was being sent to training in Texas for this company. Oh, no. But when people, AKA her parents, when she hadn't like gotten in contact with them at all, they filed a missing persons report, which they knew something was up. Right. Robinson was questioned, but he denied having any knowledge of her whereabouts. He said that he had sent her down there, but then hadn't heard anything from her either. So a few days later, her parents received a typed letter from Paula. Like I said, I'm not keeping anything Mm -hmm. as like a questionable thing. Mm -hmm. So from Paula quotations um, with the signature, with her signature at the bottom of it. But the letter basically thanked Robinson for like the help and the support and things and said that she was okay. Quote, oh, I'm okay. I'm fine. You don't have to worry about me. But, and it also said, like, something about not wanting to see her family anymore. She just needed a fresh new start, right? Yeah. Right, right? exactly. If that had been me, like, not only my parents, but my brothers and sisters would be, like, on a plane. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know? Well, what's shitty about it is it's, like, so the cops couldn't really do anything about it because there was no sign of foul play she's an adult so she can technically disappear if she wants to mm-hmm. it looked like her signature at the bottom so it's kind of like clearly she's like sending you a letter like that's you know and they can't really dig more into it unless there's more reason to right uh so the investigation was terminated and there's still been no trace of paula godfrey found mm. so Right around Christmas, only a few months after Godfrey had disappeared, uh, Robinson claimed that he started an outreach program. So I think I just mixed these two up. Godfrey did not have a daughter. She was just looking for a job. Okay. I just all of a sudden had a light. Like, she didn't have a daughter. She was looking for a job. This was a good opportunity. It made a lot of promises. So she was like, I'll give it a go. Okay. So Robinson claimed that he started an outreach program. So he went to several like women's shelters and hospitals trying to promote to the social workers there that he basically his outreach program was that he set up these women with a job and kind of get them placed into an apartment so that they can have like be on their own two feet not feeling like they have to be leaning on these shelters and things right which sounds like a good thing like it sounds like that would be great like if you Mm -hmm. can do that um so he like gives them a job pays them they're doing work it's not like he's giving it out and then helps them like place themselves into an apartment with their kid right kids whatever it may be 
1985, using the name of John Osborne, he went to a battered woman's shelter in Kansas City and met Lisa Stacy and her four-month-old daughter, Tiffany. Mm. He promised Lisa a job in Chicago and a place to live and daycare for her child that he had it all set up because of this outreach program. He had contacts, right? Um, he also had her sign a few different blank sheets of paper. Oh, bitch. bitch. There it is. Bitch. So only days later, he called his brother and sister in law who were having, like, trying to have kids and were having issues with getting adoption <gasps> and everything. No. Yes for real um so they unsuccessfully had been trying to get to adopt a baby and he called him and was like hey what if I was to tell you that I know of a baby whose mother just committed suicide and they're looking for a home for this baby so you can like basically get in on getting the adoption done all they had to do was pay $5,500 for legal fees, quotations, mm. and they could adopt Tiffany, which was proven in 2000 by DNA that Tiffany is Tiffany. Oh. And he had brought authentic looking adoption papers. He had forged signatures from a lawyer and a judge saying that this was who the, this is who this baby is. So they mm-hmm. were able to get actual documents for her, like social security number and all that stuff later on. Yeah. Um, because I mean, in the early eighties, social security numbers weren't necessarily like mandatory thing with them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause my older sister and I actually have the same social security number, just one number off because we got them at the same time. Oh, weird. Yeah. So like, it's weird. I, could take her identity if I wanted to I'm going to I'm going to um but anyway so Lisa was never heard from again after that the mother Mm. Uh, Robinson's story is that Lisa had come to him with a new boyfriend and wanted to have a brand new fresh start basically was just like here's my daughter can you please find a home for her and make up a story so that people don't ask where I went right this is what he's saying she did yeah right right all of these like so now this is the second woman who's gone missing after dealing with him exactly motherfucker right so in 1987 Catherine Clampett who was 27 at the time left her parents in Wichita Falls Texas and moved to Kansas City to find a job Robinson hired her and promised it so he promised her travel in her job and like that he would get her a new wardrobe like this it's a great opportunity we're an up-and-coming company I want to have a good face you know all this stuff Mm -hmm. and she basically got off the plane and disappeared like never seen from again. never seen again never heard from again um in June of 1987 and her missing persons report is still open to this day because there's no idea where she went oh no yeah I know so number three (sighs) third lady so Robinson was in prison from the end of 1987 to 1993 um first in Kansas until 1991 and then to Missouri because you know how Kansas City is like on both sides of the state lines so Mm -hmm. half of it's in Missouri half of it's in Kansas yeah um so basically he had fraud fraud and probation violations 
And so he ended up spending actual time in jail now. So 87 to 93 between the two different states. Uh, while in Western Missouri Correctional Facility, he met 19, or <laughs> he met 1949. What the fuck? <laughs> he okay. met 1949. Whoa, that's a good year. <laughs> well, okay, so I always take 19 off of my years because it's just faster to type it. Mm-hmm. And so I was supposed to say he met 49 year old, but instead <laughs> I said 1949. <laughs> he met 1949 year old. <laughs> So he met 49-year-old Beverly Bonner, a librarian from the prison. So she was working directly with them. And when he was released, she actually left her husband and moved to Kansas from Missouri uh, to Is he still married for him? He is. Throughout this, keep in mind, he still has a wife and children. Yeah. Oh, weird. So he, she came to work for him Me. and bang <laughs> Robinson helped Bonner with her alimony checks. He, she was trying to figure out how to forward them because they were going to her mother's house. So they basically just had it set up so that her mother would send the checks to a PO box in town. Okay. And after they got that all set up, her family never heard from her again. <sighs> how many more of these do we got to go through? Oh, couple (laughs) so even like even after she had gone missing and hadn't said anything to her parents her mother kept forwarding her checks like with the best of intentions thinking maybe she just doesn't you know maybe she wants her own whatever um being she was 50 right you know uh robinson now had discovered the internet because we're mid 90s now right imagine the porn he found um (laughs) I always think about how long it took everything, even in like the early 2000s, to load. I can't just imagine like 90s, sitting there. Just like 90s porn, just either I, fucking loading up, like uploading for fucking an hour and a half so you can watch 15 minutes of banging. You can hear the dial up. <laughs> you can hear that. Anyway, so he discovered the internet and was on several networking sites, like obviously early days networking sites under the name Slave Master. That's why they call him Internet Slave Master and Slave Master. Mm. Looking for submissives Mm. in his sexual role play games. Gross. Yeah. The earliest. Like, I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine, but. Well, right. I mean, gross in in this context. Knowing that he is a terrible human being and he's doing all this stuff to women, it's not just like a consensual, we're going to be a subdom mm-hmm. relationship. It's a, come on in. Said the stab, stab, stab. <laughs> but anywho, so his earliest correspondence that <laughs> they could find, what? Come on in. Step, 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 step. <laughs> Did that just register in your brain? Yeah, because I was talking when you said it. So I was like, you said come on in, and I was like, said the spider to the fly, right as you were going, step, 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 step. So it took me a second to register. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry. So the earliest correspondence that they could find was with Sheila Faith, 
who had a 15 year old daughter who was actually wheelchair bound with spina bifida oh no uh yeah he told her that he was a wealthy business this is where i'm like you piece of shit yeah he told her he was a wealthy businessman and a philanthropist i have such a hard time saying this word philanthropist there we go philandering piece of shit i had to just slow down and say those first couple syllables before just i tried sound, to say the rest just sound it out it's fine one syllable at a time he offered to pay his her daughter's medical expenses and give her a job in or like okay so in 1994 the two of them moved from california to kansas city and again she like they like immediately disappeared nobody heard from them again as soon Why as they got into kansas city to kansas city um for this guy apparently i don't who's this guy who's this guy uh anyway so for seven years after that though like he cashed her pension checks because (gasps) she had forwarded them before she started like had moved so that they would start coming there as soon as she got there you know oh my god yeah for seven fucking years this piece of shit yeah he's a a a doozy does he die please tell me he dies at the end (sighs) So Robinson became, I'm just gonna just fly right shut, past Hey, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> Robinson became well known on the online BDSM chat rooms. Oh, chat it, rooms. Chat rooms. So in 1999, he offered Isabella Luica. just gonna say that's what it is, <laughs> who was 21 years old at the time, a job and a bondage relationship. So he, he's like, hey, come here, I'll give you a job and you can be my bondage partner. So you'll have a place to be, place to live, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, she was a Polish immigrant who was living in Indiana at the time. She moved to Kansas City. Again, remember, he has a Got wife, a wife and, kid. and kids. Yeah. So Robinson gave Luit Luica, I'm sorry. I have such a Isabella. Um, So Robinson gave Isabella an engagement ring, and they went to the county register to like get a marriage license, and they actually fucking paid for it. And but then he never picked it up, so just sat there. Um, No one knows what happened to Isabella after this, and they don't know if she knew or believed that they were married or what like the whole situation Mm -hmm. was but she told her parents that she had gotten married or that she was getting married but left out his name didn't say anything about the guy um i'm wondering if it's because it was supposed to be this like dom yeah situation where they're like he's like you can't say anything about who i am but we Mm -hmm. can you know legally i want you to be mine Mm -hmm. quotes around that quotes around a thought she also had signed a 115-item slave contract and basically gave him total control over her life, including her accounts. So this reminds me of, like, Fifty Shades of Grey. I was just going to say is, that. This is like, actually what would happen with I'm, Fifty right. Shades of Grey. This is, no, no. <laughs> um, it is believed that during the summer of 1999 is when she disappeared. But it's not totally known because the only people that were in contact with her in Kansas City was like Robinson. Ew. So, and she talked to her parents a couple times, but not much. So Robinson's story is that she was caught smoking weed and had gotten deported. He told that to one of his like web designers that he knew. 
mm-hmm. that she was caught with drugs and got deported back to Pol- Poland. So that the guy's like, happen. the guy's like, oh, okay. Like, what are you supposed to do about that? Like, I, okay, I'm not gonna, I guess it's not weird. Like if she got caught, I'm sure she got in trouble. Right. So right around that time, right around the time Isabella disappeared, Robinson met an LPN named Suzette Troughton. Last podcast network? No. Uh, a nurse practitioner of pra- whatever. No, I got that. You know, you know. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> the short words for it. <laughs> Hi, welcome to words. I don't know how to use them. <laughs> so, I'm Amanda. This is Christina. <laughs> it's our new podcast. It's our new podcast. Welcome words. to words. What I the fuck? Use them. <laughs> I don't know how to use them. And it's just us saying sounds. Like <laughs> <laughs> And it's all of our outtakes of how we like ramble over things because we can't say it. Fuck me. <laughs> so he met Troughton, who moved from Michigan to Kansas to travel. <laughs> so he met her through the internet, right? And he basically was like, I'm going to travel the world. You should come with me. You can be my submissive. So she moved to travel with them. And uh, her mother got a typed letter from her supposedly mailed while they were abroad like telling about all their adventures they're going on mm-hmm. and shit but they were all postmarked from kansas city <laughs> <laughs> fucking stupid, stupid. <laughs> i literally put stupid because i was like this is what she's gonna say <laughs> dot 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 stupid stupid with the double o and everything <laughs> um <laughs> so her mother also said that the letters were weirdly perfect with no mistakes because she's like as much as she loved her daughter she knows that she like doesn't do well in as much as i love my daughter she's stupid so like she's this is not her because it's way too like precise (laughs) it's way too it's too good Uh, move mom but okay well i mean it makes sense if it's not how she writes it's not how she writes nielsen (laughs) so Later, Robinson told her mother that she had run off with an acquaintance after stealing some money from him. Mm-hmm. Everybody's just mm-hmm. leaving. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, okay, so one of my things that I've noticed, like I noticed with him is that, and it gets under my skin, is that every time he makes an excuse for why somebody disappeared, it's they did something wrong. Right. Against him. Like, oh, they did this, so. They stole money and left. They stole, she smoked weed and got deported. Right. She met this person and left with him. She gave me the baby and said she wanted to start a new life. Right. You know, and that, I it just irks me every time I read one of those. I'm like. You know really burns my ass? Right. So, as most killers do, do Robinson started to become careless and messy. Uh, doing a progressively poorer job of covering his tracks okay by 1999 he had already attracted the authorities from both kansas and missouri (laughs) everybody's like this guy keeps popping up in these missing persons sorry you gotta redo that i sneezed in the middle of (laughs) i didn't know you even did until like i it registered in my head because you know me and reading we don't do well sorry so i was like focused in on what i was doing (laughs) start that bullet point over again okay so, so as most 
killers do, Robinson started to become careless and messy, doing a progressively poorer job of covering his tracks. Okay. And by by 1999, he had already attracted the authorities' attention from Kansas and Missouri because his name kept popping up and all these missing persons like, oh, well, she was going to do this and then I never saw her or she disappeared and never came back. Use or, a different name, jackass. I don't want to tell only- you how to co- permit crime. I'm sorry. Continue. Well, <laughs> and he did the one time. Mm-hmm. That's it. I, I just, I don't understand. Like, like, like they said, he progressively got worse about covering up his own shit right so he was arrested in june on june 2nd of 2000 on his farm in lacare kansas after a sexual battery complaint was filed against him by somebody and another woman filed a charge for him stealing her sex toys yeah so there were multiple <laughs> charges coming in and so they were like well we'll go arrest him you, so I, so but what the nice stories do he steal i want right <laughs> inquiring minds want to know <laughs> so the nice thing is though is that with that theft charge it gave them enough probable cause to get a warrant. search warrant so they were able to go into his property and start digging around. You done fucked up, A.A. Ron. Yeah. So the next day after those files were charged and they were able to get that warrant, they... <laughs> you didn't catch it, did you? No. You said A-A-Ron? the next time after those files were charged. <laughs> the next day after those child files were charged? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm confused. The next day after those charges were filed. Oh. <laughs> That's like I used to say, instead of Northfield construction, I used to say North Confield Struction. <laughs> For the longest time, had no idea. Nobody fucking corrected me until one day I said it and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's that dyslexia at work, you know? Fucking one a. day after those charges or files were charged. Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, Whatever. continue. Fucking A. Welcome to my life. Um, I'm sorry. I should have just so, let it go, but it just tickled me. It tickled my funny bone. It's fine. It's whatever. So that next day, they went to a 17-acre farm with three search and rescue dog teams. Uh-oh. They go find some bodies. Yep. They found two decaying bodies. Ooh. One of Isabella and the other of the Troughton woman. They were in Isabella 85. was a while ago. Isabella? Yeah. No, she was the second to last. Oh, sorry. You got confused. Continue. No, that's... Well, there's so many. There's so many. (laughs) So they were in 85-pound chemical drums. Ew. So they... And Uh um, I accidentally looked at the, like, actual crime scene photos. Accidentally? um, Yeah, I opened a a fucking article, and it was on the top of the article. Oh. And... And the best part about it is it had a pay, like a picture that said graphic pictures, da, 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 da. But then it was in like a stream of pictures with that <laughs> picture. It didn't start with that. And you had to click on it to look at them. It had it just a banner across the top. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I didn't even see that at first. Cause it looked like a little fucking part of the website so then i clicked on the picture and i'm like oh god i don't I, and then i had to go to the next one. Oh god i, I gotta look at oh 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 
And then by the time I got to the end, it like swung back to the picture that said explicit pictures. And I'm like, all right, well, well, you know, whatever, I guess. But that was a new, new thing, new territory for me. (laughs) I've looked at like old school crime scene photos or when their bodies are taken out or fuzzed out. Yeah. Didn't like that, huh? I mean, it didn't bother me too much. I didn't lose sleep over it, but it was definitely a surprise. Um, A surprise. A surprise. So then across the border in Missouri, another task force was searching a storage container. That was loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you throwing shit around? Sorry. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so they were searching a storage container that Robinson rented and they found three more drums containing the remains of Bonner, Faith, and Faith's daughter. So the girl who had spina bifida, her mom, and Bonner. Um, So all of the women were killed with blunt force trauma to the head of one or more blows. Like they, a lot of, most of them were decomposed enough to where they couldn't tell like exactly, tell much about anything, Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. So, and since it was a blow to the head, that's the only reason they know because it cracked their skulls. So in 2002, he stood trial for Troughton, Isabella. I'm just saying Isabella because I don't mm-hmm. want to say her name wrong. No, it's fine. And Stacy, and you many other. Huh? I said it, I would hate for someone to leave a one star review and bitch about the fact that you're saying her name wrong. And I think it's Luica, but I just don't. <laughs> I just don't know. So he was also like charged with a bunch of lesser things too to kind of like nail in the coffin you know right this was the longest trial in kansas history he was convicted on the counts of on counts of receiving on all counts and received a death penalty for troughton and isabella and a life penalty and a life sentence for uh stacy because oh. his this death happened before they had reinstated the death penalty so they couldn't like backtrack the death penalty for Stacy's case. Right. So he was also given 5 to 20 years for interfering with parental custody of Stacy's baby. Okay. Uh 20 and a half years from for kidnapping Troughton. Okay. And 7 more months for theft. Good for in them right like they went for everything they could i'm gonna fucking nail you to the wall asshole Mm -hmm. so after kansas was done with all of their court proceedings he it was time to go to missouri Mm -hmm. to do all that and uh, i guess missouri is much more aggressive they were saying in a lot of the articles with their death penalties they don't just for example kansas city hasn't really killed anybody that gets the death penalty for years and years and years missouri is very much more a you get the death penalty you get your chance for your appeal now we're gonna kill you okay don't they still do the firing squad i think so i think they're one of the last states that do um i mean don't quote me on that but i think they are utah or kansas it's utah it's not kansas because kansas is a little bit more like i think it's utah it's one of them. i don't know 
I don't know. I'm not going to look it up right this second, but I'm just saying firing Scott. Pretty cool. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) So because of all that, his lawyers were really trying to avoid any sort of like trial trial in Missouri. They were Mm -hmm. trying to get some sort of plea bargain happening so that they didn't have to look at the capital punishment side of Missouri. Right. Um, so Chris Coaster, who is the Missouri prosecutor, mm-hmm. insisted that the only way that he would consider a plea deal for Robinson was if he led them to the bodies of Stacy and Godfrey and Clampett, the ones that they hadn't found yet. Uh-huh-huh. Um, but Robinson refused. Imagine that. I guess from everything I read, he was very like uncooperative the entire time like he just wouldn't tell them anything right like you figure you fucking figure it out i'm not Mm. saying anything no uh after this though coaster was still pressured by everybody to make a deal with him because his case wasn't quotation strong enough okay he found guilty for sure if they went to trial Mm -hmm. but then on the like exact opposite side robinson was pressured to take a plea deal and plead guilty because they were afraid that he was guaranteed a death sentence in missouri so it was like two battling sides where they're like both being pushed into a different direction mm-hmm. but i mean i wish he would have just they would have gone to trial and he would have gotten death penalty but whatever um <laughs> It was clear that without Robinson, they were never going to be able to find the bodies of the missing women. Mm-hmm. Um, and they finally reached a compromise, in a sense. In a scripted plea in 2003, Robinson acknowledged that he that there was enough evidence for him to be convicted of capital murder. Okay. Um, in the deaths of the women that were in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, but the statement... So it was technically a guilty plea, but it definitely was void of, like, specific details and actual, like, responsibility being taken or anything like that. Like, most guilty plea things are filled with, like, the details. This is what happened. I am guilty. I did this. Da-da-da-da-da. It was like, I see that they could convict me on this, so Mm -hmm. I'm saying that I know that they could convict me on this. So Right that if we go to trial on this i'm gonna lose so yeah exactly so it which is fucking frustrating i can imagine Mm -hmm. so he received a life sentence it was accepted as a guilty plea okay but he received a life sentence with no possibility of parole for each of the five people in missouri Mm -hmm. um in 2005 nancy filed it finally fucking filed for divorce um yeah 2005 Mm. so he she cited incompatibility and irreconcilable differences. He likes to murder bit people. Why do I? Why? I don't know. I don't know. I always want to refer to people as bitches and I don't mean it. <laughs> my uh, my exact words were I said those like irreconcilable differences. I'm like, you fucking think, Nancy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking think. <laughs> they were married for 41 years. Ew. Throughout all of this shit gross i just i don't know like how she wasn't aware of anything or if she was maybe it was something where she was okay with him doing like the internet thing and so but you know it's the same with like btk's wife yeah or just totally different people you know yeah 
on either side yeah I mean I get it but it's like once he's been like in jail and stuff and then I'm sure there's weird red flags but like you don't want to believe it like I get I get how you can like totally put the blinders on trying not to think that it's actually something you know Mm -hmm. um it's just crazy so in 2006 Stacy's daughter Tiffany who went by Heather after her adoption Mm -hmm. um filed a civil suit against Truman Medical Center and a social worker named Karen Gaddis so she accused Karen of putting her mother into contact with Robinson in 1984 after he had just told Gaddis that he was running a organization providing assistance to unwed mothers with white babies (laughs) what the fuck so after that he like she's the reason that they contacted each other right but he didn't have any like proof of anything so she's like hey that wasn't right she shouldn't have given my mother's information to anybody right um and there was a settlement reached in 2007 it's an unknown sum heather split that sum with her biological grandmother okay so that she Did had she some blame sort of her parents who her parents no i don't think from everything i read she never said anything about being like because she still went by heather robinson like she didn't say anything about being bitter about her parents because i don't think her parents fucking knew anything right her parents Um, thought it was all legit and on the up and up yeah so heather also won a second judgment in 2007 that prevented robinson from profiting on any like future book sales or Mm. like film deals on his story because it was before that was like a blanket law where you can't so she I mean that's it's so crazy how recent all that (laughs) happened where you can't make money off of your crimes um also in 2006 there and it's another like state to state thing so I'm sure there's other states where it was sooner but Mm -hmm. Um, also in 2006, there was a body of a young woman found in a barrel in a rural, in a rural area of Iowa, where Robinson had said to have had a business partner, um, to ID this victim. So the idea of this victim is unknown, but forensics say that she had been there for around 20 years. So that would have put it at 1986 ish. So it's right in the right time frame when he said he was working in Iowa with like told his wife he was working in and out of Iowa with whatever business. Mm -hmm. Um, There is also a note about long stretches of his adult life being unaccounted for. And people strongly believe that he has a lot more victims, but they don't know how to even go about finding them because he was so good in the beginning about covering everything. So was he like money oriented? Was that what he was doing it for? I think he was, was control it... oriented. Okay. Were these think... like did it say how they were killed? Blunt force trauma. So he just multiple beat him... blows to the head. Okay. So he just beat so, him to death? Yeah. So I'm assuming it was like a because he did the BDSM thing and he was wanting a sub and stuff. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was his way of trying to like feed his thirst of that control and shit yeah without actually doing it and then it just kind of ended up being his gateway into more victims or um what 
yeah. or something, you know. It just but, seems like it's weird that he was he seems very money oriented, you know. Like, I know. Well, and I think it was more just because he was always doing fraudulent jobs and co- companies, he needed a way to be able to pay the bills and show his wife that he's making money. Right. You know, so I wonder if that's it was just more of a means to an end than an actual like drive, you know. Um so a investigator said that he's maintained secrets about what he's done with women and won't ever tell them like they have no idea what these women went through beforehand because they had been decomposed so much by the time they found them all they know is that they had blunt force to their head um and he will never tell it's the last control that he has Mm -hmm. Uh, there are other barrels waiting out there to be opened and other bodies waiting to be found is what this investigator said he's Mm -hmm. like almost like can guarantee it so in November oh of right in November of nineteen in November of nineteen fifteen in November <laughs> of two thousand and fifteen, uh, the Stacy and the Troughton murders were vacated under technicalities, so they actually had to take away his um, sentences because technic like there were weird things that were not followed in the books. <sighs> They're like, oh, drop those charges. God damn it um but they did uphold isabella's conviction and the life or the death sentence that came with it oh good right so this actually marks the very first time that anybody anybody in kansas's highest court upheld the death sentence after it was reinstated in 1994 nice um robinson is still on death row in el dorado correctional facilities in kansas kansas um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are there are books about robinson one is called an internet slave master by john glatt glatt also made another like book just about his victims stories called depraved mm-hmm. and talking about like their backgrounds and getting okay. to know them which i thought was kind of cool um and then there was also a book by john douglas and stefan singler called anyone who wanted anyone you want me to be a true story of sex and death on the internet i think that's a crazy long title it's like mm-hmm. that fucking docu movie or whatever it is with zach efron about him being ted bundy where i'm like yeah why is it so lot- long? why are you so long why is it so uh, long i'm bored already yeah and he was also covered in a lot of different like true crime series like cold case files mm-hmm. um forensic files yeah of all those ones that have like the each episode has a different little case yeah it seems like every single one was on this list that i was reading okay. so i mean there's definitely more information out there i was not able to get all of the information possible mm-hmm. so if it's something that you find interesting i would definitely recommend looking it up because there is information out there that i'm sure i didn't get to cover everything but right. But it was definitely, it was so frustrating to me because I didn't, I couldn't find any of the details I wanted to find, like, yeah, the, the gritty details because there was no information about any of it. They're like, right. uh, all we know is they got hit over the head. I, uh, it's just, he's just a shit bag, you know? Just a shit jerk, man. Shit jerk. Stupid fucking shit jerk. You big, you shit. You're just a bunch of shit jerks. Uh, but that was a good story. Good job. Thanks. Bravo. Pretty good thumbs up here. 
Hold on. Let me oh. get to the Zoom meeting and just give you a good old thumbs up. <laughs> yay! Oh, yay! <laughs> oh, by uh. the way, we're recording this via Zoom. <laughs> so, you know what else this uh, quarantine has brought out of the woodwork? Oh. Dick pics? Creeps on dating sites. Oh, well, pretty much then, huh? <laughs> yeah. I've got so many weird-ass messages. Should I read some? Would that cheer well, you up a little? Yeah, do it. Okay, we're going to is... start with... Part of his username is Daddy. <laughs> I'm not going to oh. read the whole thing. What's up, Daddy? He <laughs> thinks he likes is everything, and I love a discussion. And he started our discussion by saying, Sit on my face! <laughs> Yeah, you see him. You see him Opening ex- message. Oh, and he doesn't have a profile. No picture. picture, none. It's always good. It's always good. He's very nondescript. You know, he's yeah. like, I don't have a picture. What do you like? Everything. Just Everything. I like to talk. Sit on my face. Sit what on my face? face. You don't have oh. a face. You don't have. You're oh. just. You're just a fucking gray guy. That's terrifying. You don't have a face. <laughs> you don't have what face? You don't have a face. Okay, ready. Hi there. How are you? I liked your profile, and I was interested in talking to you and getting to know you a little better. I'm also curious if you're the type of female who would enjoy being spoiled like a queen by a naturally submissive type gentleman like myself. And also, how bossy and controlling of a female can you be about this? So he is a submissive looking for a deaf. He's a hard bottom. (laughs) He's like, could you peg me, please? Oh God! Okay, let's like me, call me insults. Do it. Names. Do it. I'm stupid. Tell me I'm stupid. This is one of my favorite ones. Hey, I don't have a job. I like to smoke weed. I don't have my car or my driver's license. If any of this appeals to you, hit me up. <laughs> that sounds good. That's kind of a funny opening. <laughs> it's like that sounds good. Let me know at least right. No, okay. Right out the gate. <laughs> um. Hey, lady, you seem fun. Sorry, I'm old and creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Sorry, I'm old and creepy. (laughs) Okay. Um, Let's see. Do you want another one? I have so many. I literally deleted my what the fuck folder, and I have all of these. (laughs) Tell me more, tell me more. I gotta find a good one. Good morning, beautiful. When are you gonna let me come kiss it for you? <laughs> we made the same face. We made the same like, face, which is like, excuse me? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> That's what our face was. Here, this one. Hey, how would you like to make 5000 I'm making more, and I'd be willing to give it all to you. I, uh, thank you. You can just Venmo me, though. We don't need to meet. Right. So, uh, <laughs> I didn't know if I should read anymore, or should we save some for next time? I should save some. Okay. Because I'm definitely not in the routine of listening to dark things. So, like, after this, I was, like, all, oh, oh, anxious. And it was a nice little palate cleanser. Oh, my God. I just read one that I forgot about. Ooh. Well, now you need to, sh- no, no. Okay. I just want to hear it. You're like, oh my god. Looking for you. 
if you're looking for me or no looking for you looking for you if you're looking for me no i can't fucking fucking dr seuss (laughs) looking for you looking for you if you are looking for i like me will you just lay back and then let me eat pussy sure half are i don't know what that means but i heard eat pussy and now i'm uncomfortable do you speak a oh i don't know uh, what that means i i I this was from october i don't think i read it earlier i thought i deleted all of those ones but that was from october (laughs) but still what the fuck fuck? oh god how do we even end these things now um how do we wait oh like subscribe rate can somebody please leave a comment on itunes so that one star review stops coming up to the top because it's really burning my ass that was um, so loud i know i'm gonna have to turn, ouch i'm gonna have to turn that down um but yeah like us rate us subscribe us follow us all at isw the podcast send us an email at isw the podcast.com um we are at almost seven thousand downloads yeah, yeah our downloads per episode have gone up drastically because no one has anything to do um and we are now <laughs> in 48 countries that's cool. So, I think we're going to try and do YouTube. Now that we're recording on Zoom, maybe we'll uh, put these we'll videos up. Put up a video. Three of us look certain. pretty and we have really bad angles on the camera. So we're going to have to, did you just show shoulder? You little stink. Um, but, so we're going to have to figure out the camera angle. <laughs> the views. Because right now, I look like I'm melting into my own neck. So. <laughs> I look like I don't have a neck. <laughs> yes. So, um, there's that. Spread the word. Spread yourself. But use hand sanitizer. Wear a uh-huh. goddamn mask. Fucking do it with a six foot pole. <laughs> Spread yourself with a six foot pole. That sounds painful, and I would like to not participate. Fair. Um. Also, thank you guys for being like mad at us for not posting because it means you actually listen and it makes right. it so good sorry that i nearly died but didn't really i just had a really bad headache but they thought i had coronavirus yeah. but well when you can't look at a screen for more than a couple minutes at a time it's a little hard to edit so yeah it was I get a it. gosh darn nightmare oh boy that might but have been a little you. over dramatic but thank you no, thank no, you. you're fine but thank you and uh do all the things with the we'll- stuff Thank you. And we will uh, talk to you uh, next time at episode 60. What the fuck? I'm sorry, what? (laughs) That was so on the nose. Oh, fucking no. Doggy. Doggy. (laughs) You're so embarrassing. You're so fucking embarrassing. Um, Is that the end? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I don't remember how to end this. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.